all of our possessions and our own bodies and our family members, everything that's material changes. And also our feelings and our thoughts, our perceptions, even our consciousness. All the things that we think we might think of as me or mine eventually change. And that's completely normal and natural. (coughs) There's nothing to be um, unhappy about with that. Once we actually develop the, the deep understanding of that reality. So those, none of that um, is, is worthy of being considered a refuge. So then we ask, well, what is? What do we find, where do we find security? How can we establish a, a place of safety for ourselves? So today I'm, I'm going to share a couple of different teachings of the Buddha with you to give us some more clarity around what actually provides refuge. So this teaching of the Buddha that I'm going to talk about now is called the powers. He talks about four powers that we can develop. And he says if we develop these four powers, there are five fears that we completely abandon. We don't have to be afraid of those things anymore. And I think those five things are things we've all had fear around, or many of us anyway. And the first one is the fear of losing our livelihood. I don't know if you've ever felt that concern, that fear of losing your livelihood, but... It's one of the things human beings fear, because that changes, can change. There's the fear of being um, talked about in a bad way, you know, somebody spreading uh, gossip about us or some kind of disrepute. There's a fear of being afraid in groups, like afraid to speak up, timid, shy. You know how it is, these surveys that say, what are you most afraid of? And they've got all these things listed. Death rates lower than the fear of speaking in public. And then there's the fear of death and the fear of what happens after death. So these are the five fears that the Buddha said. If you develop these four powers, you never have to be afraid of those again. You want to know what they are? (laughs) So the first one is that he lists is the power of wisdom. When the Buddha says something like that, he always gives a clear definition of what he's talking about in that case. What is wisdom in this case? And he says it's the 
It's the wisdom to clearly see what is wholesome and what is unwholesome. And for the Buddha, what, what is wholesome are the things that lead to more peace, more happiness. And the things that are unwholesome are things that lead to more agitation and anxiety and fear and harm. So keeping the precepts we took this morning, that's wholesome. And the more we work with them, we see just how beneficial they are. The kinds of things that are unwholesome, you know, lead, lead to results that are um, sometimes frightening, sometimes saddening. And so the wisdom to see the difference, what's wholesome, what's unwholesome. The way the text goes, he says, What is the power of wisdom? One has clearly seen and explored with wisdom those qualities that are unwholesome and reckoned as unwholesome. Those that are wholesome and reckoned as wholesome. Those that are blamable and reckoned as blamable. And those that are blameless and reckoned as blameless. Those that are dark, those that are bright. Those that should not be cultivated, and those that should be cultivated. Those that are unworthy of the noble ones, and those that are worthy of the noble ones. And each of us has that ability to be a noble one by the way we live and the choices we make. So that's the power of wisdom. And then... The second power is the power of energy. One generates the desire to abandon those qualities that are unwholesome and blamable and dark, that should not be cultivated, that are unworthy of noble ones. It makes an effort and arouses energy and applies one's mind and strives to abandon those qualities that are unwholesome and to cultivate those qualities that are wholesome, blameless, bright, that should be cultivated and that are worthy of noble ones. One makes an effort, arouses energy, applies one's mind, and strives. That's the power of energy. A really concerted effort. And of course, a lot of the things that are unwholesome are patterns and habits that we've learned. And to really put energy into changing them. And how does this relate to refuge? We just we don't have the same level of chaos and suffering in our life anymore. The third power is the power of blamelessness. Here one engages in blameless action by body, speech, or mind. That's the power of blamelessness. 
So, of course, everybody gets blamed. The Buddha was blamed. I've experienced blame. You've experienced blame. But if we're really making every effort to do those wholesome things and avoid the unwholesome things, the blame isn't very important. Whatever people think of us is not really a problem. We all make mistakes, and we can correct them. But it's like because of our intention, because of that wisdom, because of that effort and energy, we really don't have to be concerned. Living that blameless way, living according to those precepts. Now the fourth power, and the last one, really surprised me when I read this the first time. I mean, these are other ones, you know, that all makes sense. I mean, the fourth one does too, but I never thought of it this way. It's the power to sustain favorable relationships. What an interesting thing to throw into this list. He said that there are four ways to sustain favorable relationships. Through giving, through endearing speech, through beneficent conduct, and impartiality. So if someone that we're in a relationship with would be uplifted and benefited from a gift, you give the gift. And sometimes that gift isn't material. It's more like encouragement to be good, encouragement to be wise, or, you know, the whole range of what you can give someone for their benefit. Endearing speech, of course, encouragement and kindness. Beneficent kind uh, conduct, doing things that are beneficial for them. And then impartiality. And someone, you know, you might think, what, what's that like? And you know how it is when um, maybe you're a teacher or you've had a teacher that doesn't treat the students impartially. You have favorites. Parents may have favorites or employers. And how that can affect the relationships in that environment. So just another thing to consider, like treating people impartially, regardless of any characteristics that they might have. So as I contemplated this teaching, this um, this way of looking at how we can cultivate our own habits and patterns and ways to act and think and feel or, or be, speak, I was thinking back to when I grew up. And how, in that small town, um, it's really important to create 
and sustain and and nurture your relationships. And how when the neighbor that was far in the neighboring farm, so my my family farmed in um, the one of the neighboring farms. The farmer got sick in the spring, and my father planted all his corn. And one year when my father, he got his foot in an auger, it was pretty close to the end of harvest, but maybe another four or five days or week of harvest left. And then a group of neighbors came in and finished it. And when you have that, those kinds of relationships, you really don't have to be as afraid of losing your livelihood. You take care of each other. And if we're living in those other ways, we're really, you know how it is. You, you've got, you've got the same amount of people, about the same population as we had in our little town. You know everybody pretty much. You know who's giving. You know who isn't. You know who's honest and kind. And it's like the more we um, we cultivate those qualities in ourselves and take care of each other. As you well know, the less blame there is, the less chaos, the less fear. So I'm, one of the things, of course, that we experience as we leave our small communities and we go to places where we don't know each other, we might feel like, well, we don't have to be that way and yet that can cause so many problems. It really, it's not about what other people think, and it's not even about what's happening in our, in our community or in our world, but what's happening inside. That as we purify our own hearts, our own minds, we develop more and more skill and ability to live with wisdom and blameless be, being blameless leaving behind the the toxic behaviors the more we can stand without any fear it's like there's really nothing to be afraid of And that we can come back to that as a solidity <coughs> inside ourselves, a refuge. Now, some, this can take some effort. <laughs> and the effort, you know, that power of energy is really helpful because it's not always easy. It's kind of the whole of the, of the teaching of the Buddha. If you boil it down into a very small... Um, short phrase or two the Buddha said avoid doing things that are harmful or evil that's the word do what's good and purify the mind and that has really powerful results and then as I talked about last night we need to have a lot of kindness and acceptance for all the ways that we make mistakes. 
Last night I told a story about the serial killer at the time of the Buddha and how he became a monk and became fully enlightened. But he had killed 999 people. And how do you live with that? Once you kind of wake up to the fact that, you know, that isn't the right thing to do. And uh, there's, there's a teacher, uh, some of you may have heard of Ajahn Suchito, he was the abbot at the monastery where I was spending a winter, or most of the year. But during the winter retreat, I came to him, as I mentioned before, with, with a lot of regret about things that I had done. And Ajahn Suchito talked about how we need to ex- expand our heart, how... How can you hold all the regret from the past if you've killed 999 people? And it's because of the enormity of the heart. So whenever things are coming up for us about what we've done or, you know, once again reacting in some way, then being present with it, letting it come in completely. First being aware and facing it fully, and then having some some gentleness and kindness around it, along with the determination to not do that again. The kind of honesty that the Buddha is encouraging is really what makes it possible to just be the way we are, just like you know, forthright. Don't have to fear anything. Don't have to hide anything. And when we start to feel like we have to hide something, then that's a good signal. Let's look. Let's look. Do I do I really want to do things this way? Because I think a lot of times we get the get the feeling or we've been conditioned to think it's okay to kind of keep things behind the curtain. But that's how we feel uncertain. That's where the fear comes from. There are other kinds of sources for fear, of course, too. We can fear those changes that I talked about. What if something happens to us? What if what if there's a, a war or you know, there's all kinds of horrible possibilities in this world. There was a monk one time who came to the Buddha and said, I, I want to go to this country. It was actually the country where he grew up, but it was a very rough place. And the Buddha said, well, if you go there, what will you do if people ridicule you for being a monk? What if they you know, call you names and ridicule you? And he said, well, then I'll think... Isn't it good of them that they're not throwing things at me? 
And we say, okay, what if they start throwing things at you? He said, well, then I'll think, isn't it good of them that they're not hitting me with sticks? And we said, well, what if they hit you with sticks? He said, well, isn't it good? I'll just think, isn't it good that they're not stabbing me with knives? And he said, well, <laughs> what if they stab you with knives? And he said, well, isn't it good that they're not taking my life, ending my life? And he said, well, what if they end your life? And he said, well, well, sometimes people really want to, you know, leave this life. They've achieved what they want to achieve, and I won't have to look for a way to do that. <laughs> but he said, you're going to be okay. <laughs> and so he did. He went, he went back to this country, that country where, you know, he had grown up and he he gathered a huge following of people. They really wanted to hear the teachings and he himself through teaching became fully awake and arahant, fully realized being. And and so this is, you know, this isn't the way we usually approach by thinking, oh, isn't it good that it's not worse? So I I think the, the fundamental point here is that the refuge is really inside. In a way, it's inside, but it's also this connection to this larger truth of the way things are. And there's a power and energy in that. Super mundane reality that we align ourselves with when we do what's wholesome and avoid what's unwholesome. That we connect to when we really make that effort and live in a way that's blameless. Mm. 